one of the things that a pastor does is preaches a lot of weddings and funerals. And there should be a difference in those two, and most of the time there are differences in those two. Um, when I'm at a, a funeral, I, I bring up the idea of whether Christian, Christianity is true or not because I think most non-Christians are already thinking that Christianity isn't true because they think that there's this, this idea of a good God who lives in a perfect place with no pain, suffering, or evil. They think that's just too good to be true. We were talking about in our men's group today. How come some people don't believe in Jesus? We know, we know that Jesus lived. We know that he died on the cross. We know that the tomb was empty. How come people don't believe? Well, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this age, lowercase g, that's talking about Satan, the devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the glory of the gospel of Christ. So there is a there's a spiritual force of darkness that is keeping unbelievers from seeing the truth of Christ. And if you talk to, I talk to a lot of well-intentioned people who are far from God, and they'll say, well, you know, it's okay for you to believe that, but it's not okay for me to believe that. So sometimes I'll just ask, what is it that you believe in? And so they'll say, well, I have this belief, and it's kind of a buffet. So like Aunt Edna said this, and they believe that because Aunt Edna said it. My grandma said this. My daddy said this. Well, I saw this preacher on TV, or I heard this preacher this time, and they have this whole schmore board of, of uh, beliefs. And then if you pull out the Bible and say, well, here's what the Bible says, they don't believe the Bible's accurate, so they don't think it's relevant. So what do you do? Most folks that aren't Christians lump Christianity within all within other religions. But if you're a believer in Christ, you know there's a huge difference in Christianity and every other world religion. We're going to talk about those today. Other religions, here's what you have to do. You have to be good enough to get to heaven. There is a set of standards, rules and regulations. You must follow these in order to get to heaven. But in Christianity, it's completely different. Christianity says no one is good enough to get to heaven. Shoot, we're the only ones that believe that bad people go to heaven based on what someone else did. Knowing that, why isn't everybody becoming a Christian? <laughs> Makes you wonder, right? That's one distinction. Christianity, we believe no one's good enough to go to heaven. That's why Jesus had to leave heaven, die on a cross for our sins. But there's a bigger distinction, and it's actually the biggest distinction, and I want to talk about that today. The biggest difference in Christianity and other religions, and, I, and I'm telling you this because I want you to be able to use this at parties. You can have conversations at parties based on what I'm going to teach you today. So you need to understand the foundation of Christianity is not, first of all, it's not teaching. The foundation of Christianity is not teaching. Every other religion, the foundation is someone's teaching. So the Muslims have Muhammad, and you have to follow his teachings. Uh, the Mormons have Joseph Smith. Jehovah's Witnesses have Charles Taz Russell. Scientology has L. Ron Hubbard. So people naturally assume that Christians have their prophet Jesus, but it's not Jesus' teaching that's the foundation of our faith. The foundation of, of Christianity is not Jesus' teaching. This sets us apart. It's not a philosophy of life. Every other religion, there's someone else's philosophy. You must adopt his philosophy. You must live it out the best you can. And if you do the best you can, maybe you'll get to heaven. The foundation of Christianity is not faith. A lot of non-believers think we have this blind faith. They have problem with, problems with believing things with no evidence. Let me tell you something. I have a lot of problems in believing things with no evidence. I am a very um, skeptical person by nature. And so when people say things like, mm -mm, I don't know about that, and I'm going to go research it before I make up my mind. But they think, oh, if you just believe, it's like you people who drive with, with no gas in the gas tank, and you think, if I just believe, I'm going to make it to my destination. 
vacation. Now, I actually am adventurous, and there's times I'll say to Janie, hey, the, the little dial says we got 28 miles left in our gas tank, and it's only 26 miles to Palestine. Let's go for it. And she's going, no, no. And she, she would scratch my eyes out if I tried to do it. And I just love messing with her and say, hey, I'm going for it. No, you're not. Y'all have never seen that in Janie, so you don't believe that she... You get in a car with no gas, and you try to go further than that dial says you should go, and you'll see a new Janie. But Christianity is not believe it enough, and it will become true. That's, that's not the foundation. So here it is. The foundation of Christianity is an event, one event that happened on one morning over 2,000 years ago. It's not the teaching of Christ. It's not even the death of Christ. Lots of people died. It's not even the crucifixion of Christ. Lots of people were crucified. Here it is. The foundation is an event, one event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that Christianity works is not the foundation. The fact that it works in marriage, parenting, business, relationships, that's not the foundation. That's the benefits of Christianity. When you follow Christ with all your heart, your relationships are better. You have peace, confidence, help in, in weakness, comfort, joy, purpose, security, freedom from your past, and fulfillment. All those are benefits of following Christ, but they are not the foundation of Christianity. The foundation of Christianity, the biggest difference in Christianity and every other religion is one event, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So I want to ask you, tell me what other religion has a, has a holiday, a worldwide holiday to mark the resurrection of their leader from the dead. I'll wait. Anyone? There's only one, right? Because there's only one Jesus. If you begin to discuss religion with people outside of Christianity, they're going to they're gonna talk about their prophets. They will compare their prophet with your prophet, and they think their prophet's better. In fact, the Muslims, they'll say that Muhammad is the last and greatest prophet, even though they'll acknowledge, well, we see, we see Jesus as a prophet, and Jesus did miracles. Muhammad didn't do miracles, but Muhammad's later and greater. They'll compare your prophets, but... But all of the prophets of all the other religions eventually died. Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. And in some of those religions, Muslims being one, you are actually expected to travel to the grave of the founder sometime during your life and pay homage to the founder of that religion. But Christianity is the only one where if you go to Israel with us next summer, we're planning to go to Israel. If you go to Israel with us, we'll walk to the garden tomb. And it's empty. It's the only religion that has an empty grave where the founder once laid. Now, whenever these other religions, whenever the founder died, and, and I named all of them, whenever the founder died, they rallied around. They said, let's keep our leaders' teachings alive. Do you know what Jesus' followers did when he died? They hid in fear. They weren't going out trying to keep the dream alive. They went fishing. They were so discouraged because they had wasted their lives on this guy who said he was God. And they thought they were going to die next, so they're hiding. When we find them, they're not having a let's keep the dream alive party. They're hiding saying, let's, have a, let's keep us alive party. Because it was over. Everyone, Jesus' followers, the Romans, the Jewish leaders, everyone thought it was over. The, the Jews were like, finally, we can rest and get back to normal. The, the Romans are like, finally, those Jews won't be bothering us anymore because they thought, the Romans thought that since Jesus was a Jew, Christianity was just a sect of Judaism. And, and Jews were like, we don't want him. And everybody thought it was over. And the disciples were hiding. And, and if Jesus had just 
focused on some, some nice teaching. Like the golden rule, that came from Jesus, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a nice teaching. Why didn't Jesus focus more on that? Or if he'd focused on God is love, that's such a nice teaching. And everybody loves the nice teaching. But Jesus went too far. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Now, everybody there knew he was claiming to be God, capital G. And when he said, I and the Father are one, the the religious leader said, how dare you? Jesus also said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. How dare you claim to be one with God the Father? There is one God. Everyone knew he claimed to be God. He said, the only way to get to the Father is through me. So people say Christians are so narrow-minded. We're narrow-minded because our founder was narrow-minded. He said, there's one way, and it's through me. And so when he died, when he claimed to be God, in fact, everyone knew he claimed to be God. That's what got him killed. So when he died, everybody says, it's over. After he resurrected from the dead, he reminded his followers that on many occasions he said, I'm going to die. I'm going to be lifted up and die for the sins of mankind. John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When Jesus first burst on the scene in Mark chapter 1, we looked at that in our men's Bible study this morning. He so clearly identified himself with God that when he died, people said he couldn't be God. He must be a fraud. Why keep alive the dream of a fraud? People said God wouldn't allow himself to be beaten and tortured and crucified and laid in a grave. So the game's over. So when you look at Christianity, the foundation of Christianity, it distinguishes us from every other religion. There is zero comparison. Everybody thought it was over until three days later when he rose from the dead. And that bunch of cowardly guys went out and turned the world upside down. They went out and turned the world upside down, not because of what Jesus said. Um, they went not because of his miracles. You remember, the, there, there are all kinds of miracles. One of my favorites is when, when they're in the storm and Jesus is asleep in the boat and they wake him up. Jesus, don't you think we're, we're going to drown? And Jesus gets up and he says, peace be still. And these guys look at him and they say, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? They were in awe of him until he died. And then it was over, and they forgot all about the miracles. His death signaled the end of their dream. What ripped them off of their scared little butts and compared them to get out and tell people about Jesus was the resurrection. They saw a dead man walking. He rose from the dead, and overnight, thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem abandoned thousands and thousands of years of Jewish history and became Christ followers. Not because they heard a good sermon and not because they saw Jesus die. They'd seen lots of people die. Thousands abandoned the faiths of their mothers and their fathers and their grandparents because of an event that was so undeniably true that you would have been a fool to pretend it did not happen. Because people are running around, hundreds of people are running around Jerusalem saying, Jesus is alive, Jesus is alive. We've seen him. And you know, you know, if the Romans or the Jews could have produced a dead Jesus, it would have been over. You know why they couldn't produce a dead Jesus? Because there wasn't one. The tomb was empty. So you have to explain why the tomb is empty. And people have tried. The most logical explanation is that Jesus rose from the dead. He is alive today. It wasn't over. When he resurrected, it was just the beginning. The thing that transformed these cowardly men who denied Christ when little girls confronted them to world changers who would die for their faith was the fact that they saw 
Jesus alive. Everybody knew he was dead. They saw him alive. It wasn't his teaching. It wasn't his death. It was his resurrection. Everything we believe as Christians revolves around one singular event, and that is Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that means our system, Christianity's system, is radically different from everyone else's system. And I don't know about you, but when a, when a guy says, I'm going to die, and three days later I'm going to come back from the dead, and then he pulls it off, I'm with him. Doesn't really matter what he teaches. If he, if he predicts that and pulls it off, I'm like, there's something special about this guy now. His teaching is awesome, but not without the resurrection. We'll look at that in a second. Because think about it. Every one of us is afraid of getting dead. Now, dead people aren't afraid of being dead. I've never had someone say, question, you know, when you have, we've had the coffins right here. Not, not one person has said, hey, 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 I got some questions. People who are dead don't, don't say it. We worry about getting dead. We worry about how we're going to get dead, right? If some dude says, I'm going to die and I'm coming back to life, you would abandon all of your previous beliefs and all of your mommy and daddies and generations of beliefs too if you saw a dead man walking. Now, in the Bible, there's this book named for a guy, uh, named, written by a guy named Luke. He actually wrote two books of the Bible. He wrote Luke. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Luke is one of them. He was a doctor. He meticulously um, studies all of the, the life of Jesus. He goes to eyewitnesses. He writes all of this stuff down. That's the book of Luke. And then he writes another book called Acts where he follows the disciples around after Jesus was resurrected, went back to heaven. The question is, what's next when Jesus, when the tomb is empty? Well, Acts is what happens next. And so he writes all of this stuff down. He was the first investigative reporter. Now, um, only a few people were writing this down because Jesus said, I'm going to come back. And they're like, oh, you're coming back? Well, we'll wait. Well, after a few years, they said, maybe we should write this stuff down for generations uh, that are going to come later. And he takes notes and he writes the book of Acts. It was all the things the apostles were doing after Jesus left. So Jerusalem is in this uproar. Romans are worried because they don't want these Jews to get any more uh, worked up than they are. The Jews are worried because thousands and thousands of Jews are becoming Christ followers. Um, they're, they're following this resurrected one. The Jews are losing control of, of the situation, and they know if they don't do something fast that Rome is going to revoke their, their, uh, their status and give it to someone else. Because Rome saw just Christianity as some sect of Judaism. So Peter and John are leading the resurrectionists. And one day they are walking to the temple and they're going to pray. They come across a man who was born crippled. He had never walked because he was born that way. And he's begging because that's all they had to do in those days. If they couldn't walk, they couldn't work. They begged. And so he asked Peter and John for some, something. Peter turns and, and says, look at me. And, and he says, I don't have any money, but I'm going to give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the guy did. Dude stands up and walks because he's completely healed. Then they go into the temple with this guy. It says he's walking and leaping and praising God. So Peter and John and this, this formerly crippled guy are in the temple. And this causes a stir because everybody recognized this guy. And people come running to see what has happened. And Pete starts preaching. Well, in the middle of his sermon, he says this in Acts chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He's talking to the Jews in the temple. He says, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God did what? God raised him from the dead, and we are what? 
So I've told you this before. It's my favorite synopsis of the gospel. Here's the centrality of Christianity. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Say you're sorry. And thousands of people in Jerusalem did. So many people are believing that the religious leaders are like, we got we to arrest Pete and Johnny. So look what happens. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching that people, uh, the people that through Jesus there is resurrection of the dead. You see, the Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. And you know what's coming. That's why they were so sad, you see. I have used that at least half a dozen times in, in the 20 years of this church. And I mean, really, if you think there's no resurrection, I would be sad too. I'd, I'd walk around, well, I can't say that. Um, I'd walk funny if, I was, if there was no resurrection of the dead. But they're messed up because these guys are saying there's a resurrection. They couldn't disprove the resurrection. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of believers now total about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. If we want to count the women and children, there's probably ten to 15,000 people like that who have become Christ followers in Jerusalem. See, Jesus wasn't crucified and resurrected somewhere thousands of miles away. He was in Jerusalem. They couldn't produce a body because there wasn't a body. And now thousands of people are believing and they're saying, I know what mom and dad said. I know what grandparents said. I know what the Jews teach, but I'm going to follow him because he came back to life. It wasn't because of a sermon. It was because of a resurrection. Jump down to Acts chapter 4, verses 5 through 10. The next day, so they put him in jail overnight. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, check this out. Here's what they want to know. By what power or in whose name have you done this? Now, as religious leaders, they had every right to ask this because it was happening in the temple. By what, by what power, in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? That's what they're asking. Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed, check this out, by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Remember, this is less than two months after Jesus had been arrested and tried and crucified. Pete was following him that night. It was a cold night, and the Bible tells us that he was warming himself by the fire. And so some girl said, I recognize you. You were with Jesus. And he denies it. No, I don't know the man. He calls down curses from heaven, and he runs away in shame and fear the night that Jesus is tried. But here... He's all in their face saying, you killed him. God raised him. What gives? <laughs> Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. And they said, you can arrest us, you can torture us, whatever, but I will not deny what I've seen and what I've heard. So verse 13, the members of the council were amazed. Why? When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they recognized, check this out, they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training. I just have, I have a question for you. If you're a guy in the service today, how many of you are ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures? That's all of us. I'm, I'm raising my hand too. But here's what set them apart. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. You hang out with Jesus and you'll change the world. 
since the healed man was there looking at him and everything was getting out of hand, they said, oh, we need to take a time out. Let's go outside and let's discuss this where nobody can hear what we're talking about. So they get outside and they say, we can't deny that this guy's been healed. He, everybody knows he used to beg. Now he's healed. We'll look like fools if we deny it. But this nonsense about Jesus rising from the dead has to stop. So they come back into session. So they call the apostles back in, commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John said this, um, do you think God wants us to obey you or him? Now, he probably didn't say it like that. I would like to think I would say it like that. Hey, home cheese. Your honor, home cheese. I, I would probably respect him. You want me to obey you or God? Because you're talking to religious leaders who say they want to follow God. And if you're the religious leader, if somebody says, to, hey, Doug, should I obey you or God? What do you think I'm going to say? God, that's the Sunday school answer. That's the right answer. Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? And then look, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and we've heard. Peter and John faced torture and death for some teaching. Not for some teaching or what they believe. They faced the persecution and death because of what they saw and what they heard. And no other religion is like it. Now, legend tells us that Peter later in life, we don't know this for sure, but they, this has been passed down for hundreds of years, that Peter was crucified upside down. They were going to crucify him, but he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like Jesus, so turn me upside down, which, by the way, if you know anything about crucifixion, it comes from, death comes from suffocation. So you turn some dude upside down, crucify him upside down, he's going to die like that. And the people didn't care. They're like, okay, you want to die quickly? We'll turn you upside down. And, and Peter dies upside down thinking, I get to be with Jesus in just a little time. But I will not stop telling you what I've seen and what I've heard. I don't care what you do to me. You can crucify me upside down. I'm not going to stop telling you that I saw Jesus alive because Jesus is alive. John, John is abandoned on an island to rot, the Isle of Patmos. He's exiled out there, left all by himself. You see, not one of his followers ever recanted the story that Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. And, and don't you think, this is one of the biggest arguments for Christianity being true, is there were at least a dozen of them, but actually there were, there were 120 of them in the upper room when Jesus first appeared to them in the upper room. Somebody in the group is going to say, oh, oh, I'm not dying for a lie. Sorry, you guys are idiots. I'm not dying for this. But every one of them died proclaiming Jesus is alive, and I've seen him. You can't unhear what you've heard. You can't unsee what you've seen. And because of this radical devotion to Jesus, look what happens in Acts 4, 32 and 33. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the, what was that word? They just preached the resurrection over and over. They testified powerfully to the resurrection of Jesus, and God's great blessing was them on, was on them all, sorry, upon them all. No other founder of any other religion died in the place of his people. No other founder came back from the grave. And no other religion says, if you want to discredit all of Christianity, here it is. It's actually in our Bible. It tells anybody who wants to disprove Christianity, here's the one thing you have to prove. I'm going to show you. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and 17 through 19. He says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is what? And your faith is what? 
And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is what? And you're still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. We tell you that you can be saved. We just had two women proclaim to you that they're followers of Jesus Christ. And look what Paul says. If Jesus is still in the grave, those women are still lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we're to be more pitied than anyone. We're idiots if the tomb is not empty because Jesus is alive. There's not another religion that does this. Paul is saying all the good teaching is useless without the resurrection. All those helpful verses on marriage and sex and business, they're useless without the resurrection. And you need to know that the resurrection was not the end. It was the beginning of a story that's still going on April 24, 2022. Still going strong. You want to know why? Because the tomb is empty. Because Jesus is alive. So the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. But this is what I really want you to get today. The resurrection is also the foundation of our faithfulness. The reason I'm supposed to be committed to church and to telling others about Jesus because the tomb's empty. Jesus rose from the dead. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Paul is talking to the church at Corinthians. He says, so my dear brothers and sisters, he's talking to Christians, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for, the you, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. There's that word again. If, we, if I give a cup of cold water to a small child in the name of Jesus, God notices If I go to Lake Charles and I work on Mount Olive Baptist Church, Jesus notices and and he credits it not just to me, but to the church, New Life Community Church. When we gave them the check for $20,000 last year and Pastor Harris's eyes got big, it was one of the coolest things. And God noticed when we go down and we try to put this roof on and by the grace of God, we'll put the roof on where, you know, there's so many moving parts. We may have to have a plan B, but, but right now we're planning to put the roof on and get them in the dry so that they can use this because I've never seen a church like Mount Olive that is reaching people with all kinds of different ways. Pastor Harris told me when I was there, I don't even remember which time I was there, but he said, he goes, our, our neighborhood within one mile of our church is 50% black and 50% white. And he said, my belief is that our church should be 50% black and 50% white. And he said, I'm going to tell you something. The only time right now is 50% black and white is when you guys from Praying Pelican come and worship with us. And he said, our people are beginning to see a glimpse of heaven when Praying Pelican comes and they worship together. Because I got news for you. The Bible says in Revelation, in the last book of the Bible, It says, when we gather before God someday, when everything is done with the world and Jesus has come back, not as the lamb, but as the lion, it says, when we gather, there will be people from every tribe, nation, and tongue worshiping. So if you don't like somebody who has a different skin color here, you're not going to like them in heaven, and they're going to be there. Nothing we do for the Lord is useless. So be real careful when you say, that church is wasting money doing this. That church is wasting doing this. I'm not sure we're the ones that are wasting. I think maybe it's your soul that's wasting away because you're not being obedient to the Lord. I'm not saying you can't question what we do. I'm saying you need to 
need to be very careful when you question our hearts and our motives for helping a, 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 another church. Be faithful. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Be faithful when it's inconvenient. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Be faithful when life is hard. Be faithful when everyone around you is faithless. Be faithful when people leave. Why? Because Jesus is alive. The resurrection validates Jesus as the Son of God. He said, I'm going to die. I'm going to come back. When he came back, it means everything he said was true. He's fulfilled all of his promises except those that have to do with his coming back. And so he's going to come back. And this was such a big deal that they, for, for thousands of years, they had worshiped on Saturday and they changed their worship to Sunday because that's the day the tomb was empty. That's the day Jesus rose from the dead. They said, we're going to change. Can you just imagine if, if I were to say to the church, hey, we're just going to start worshiping on Mondays. And some of you are like, well, that's a work day. Well, guess what? It was a work day back then too. Sunday was the first work day of the week. So they said, we'll meet at night. And then they said, this is so cool. We'll meet every night. Acts chapter 2, they were meeting every day in homes, praying and having fellowship and taking the Lord's Supper and telling people about Jesus and helping folks who were in need. Why? Because the tomb was empty. They saw Jesus alive. If you're not a Christian, just think about the resurrection. Because if his enemies say the tomb is empty, if the religious leaders say the tomb is empty, if his followers say the tomb is empty, the most logical conclusion is the tomb is what? So you have to come up with a reason why was that tomb empty. If you're not going to believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, come up with with a reason. And people have tried for thousands of years. If, If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, why did his cowardly followers suddenly gain the courage of a lion and say, go ahead and kill me, but I will not recant? And how is it that 2,000 years later, Jesus actually said these words. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How is it that 2,000 years later, the church is still going strong if Jesus is still in the tomb? I'm ready to hear some answers. So if if you have answers to those questions apart from Jesus is alive, I'd love to talk with you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for the empty tomb and what it means to us. And God, we pray that you change some hearts and lives because that tomb is empty, and the reason it's empty is because you're alive. Lord, I pray that, that some today would realize that they, if they were to die right now, they're not getting into heaven based on their goodness. They're not getting into heaven based on their own goodness or your goodness because they haven't even asked you to save them. So I pray that somebody today would ask you to save them, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.